0: Hi, we're Katie, Jessica, and Shannon, and this is Boy Problems Podcast, a community focused on supporting families navigating substance use disorder. We hope sharing our stories, introducing you to experts, and answering all the questions you have no one else to ask will help you better navigate your story.
1: Through our partners' recoveries, we found each other and formed our own squad, one we know is so valuable to how we manage this disease in our relationships. So we started bringing a microphone to our hangouts to extend our conversations to others just like us. When you're here, you're not alone. Hi, welcome back to Boy Prom's podcast. Thanks for being here. We are just a couple days away from Christmas and we're thinking of you all because we know it can be such a tough time for a lot of families. Believe me, we have all been there before, so we're sending lots of encouragement your way. From our experiences in the recovery world, we've learned it's common to see an influx of people seeking recovery post-holidays. The holidays are so busy and stressful that families may choose to just get through the season and deal with finding help when things have settled down. We also know that relapses can happen around this time of year, so some people are starting over. There's also something about a new year, fresh start, and new beginnings. Whatever the reason may be, when you're ready for help, it can be hard to figure out what to do next. That's why we've chosen to re-release an old episode today, Recovery Houses. If you're like us, you may know about inpatient and outpatient programs, but may be unfamiliar with Recovery Houses. We asked Elliot, a resident coordinator at a local Recovery House, to share his insights, and hopefully it will be helpful to you. As always, if you have questions or want to share your experiences, please connect with us on Instagram at boyproblemspod. Oh, and one more thing before we get into the episode, Uh, just a reminder that the original episode was released before we shared our true identities. So as you are listening, um, Alex is Jessica, Elise is Katie, and Liz is me, Shannon. Um, hopefully that helps clear some things up. Okay, now on to the episode. Please enjoy Recovery Houses. Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast. Um, today we have a special guest, Elliot. He's joining us from a local recovery house. Um, we've talked a lot about recovery houses on this podcast since um, both of our partners or Alex and I have both had partners who have lived in recovery houses and so we thought it would be helpful just to dive into like what does that mean and so we're um really appreciative to have Elliot here today to talk to us about that.
0: Yeah thanks for joining us. Um so Elliot do you want to just kind of get us started on uh, your history and um in recovery with addiction and kind of how you ended up working at a recovery house.
2: Yeah, no problem. So, um, you know, uh, my sobriety date is August 28th of 2017. So oh, wow, you're
0: coming up on a birthday. Yep.
2: So, you know, um, if all goes as planned. So if I continue to, you know, keep living this way of life, I'll have three years, which is, uh, the longest stretch of sobriety I've had since I put something that was mood or mind altering in me. Um, when I was about 13, 14 years old, um, a little bit just like backstory from me, you know, I came from a really good upper middle-class home from the burbs. Um, you know, uh, both my parents' professionals, they really stressed education. Um, I didn't want for anything, you know, I had a really good normal childhood, um, except I just felt really different. So I found refuge in drugs and alcohol. And when I got that first one in me, I felt, you know, a sense of ease and comfort that I've not felt before. Uh, So, of course, if I've never felt that, I'm going to pursue that, um, you know, to the gates of insanity or death, uh, which is almost where it took me. So, um, you know, a lot of pain, a lot of misery. Okay. Uh, You know, what comes along with the territory of, you know, leaving a or leading a destructive lifestyle. Um, so it comes around to the 28th of August of 17 and, um, well, no, I won't even do that, but, uh, backtrack a little bit. I've tried to get sober a lot. Um, I've lived in five or six recovery houses, recovery residences in my, um, you know, half dozen to, you know, 10 times trying to get clean. Um, And then when I got out of incarceration this last time I went to a recovery residence and, you know, a few things transmitted that, that really stuck with me. So, um, really, I just, I mean, I don't know, I guess I'm a direct result of lying on your resume and getting the job, which is, (laughs) you know, like, like I started when I started, they were just like, I was like, um, a uh, like a pinch hitter, I guess. Uh, they were just like okay you've you've lived here three times before, Elliot. We need someone to watch security cameras from midnight to eight a m <laughs> Don't f this up. Here is like below minimum wage, and just like, please don't f this up and uh you know, I showed up early and I stayed late, and then I don't know, it's just like I've been there for a couple of years now, and it's really cool. you know, I've climbed the ladder a little bit it's uh It's interesting to say the least.
0: It's awesome. So what do you do there now? Just describe your role.
2: So my title is re-entry coordinator. Um, so, there is, so where I work, um, we're Indiana's largest and oldest recovery residence. Um, we've been in business for 61 years, which is pretty cool. Um,
0: ask you, what is a re-entry coordinator?
2: All right. So um, re-entry coordinator, I'm one of the like 25 staff members where I work at um, my sole job is to be in correspondence with department of corrections. So that's, you know, your state prisons, um, county jails and treatment facilities. So I not only am I the guy that does, I don't want to say the gatekeeper for lack of a better term, but you know, I'm the guy that, you know, whenever someone, applies i do you know the criminal background check i make sure that you know they meet the criteria before i even entertain the idea of you know having them come into the facility um as for treatment centers the same thing um and then you know i also make sure there are a lot more other components that are all lined up but first and foremost is passing that screen of you know, uh, criminal history. Um, You know, there's a lot of manipulation that goes on with uh, those who, you know, abuse substances and alcohol and, you know, just to make sure that we're getting guys who truly suffer from this disease of addiction and not just, you know, your career criminal who doesn't want to do more time in prison.
1: So are most of your people in your residence, are they coming out of incarceration?
2: Um, For the most part, yes. I would say about 70% the clients are entering through the criminal justice system, which is, I mean, an absolute blessing and also a curse. Uh, I won't get started on how someone who has a possession of a syringe should be labeled a felon for the rest of their life. Um, but the cool thing is, is that uh, counties are more apt to or more prone to going like pro treatment in lieu of incarceration, which is really cool. Um, Indiana has also, uh, come through with like awesome grant opportunities for those um you know who that pretty much make treatment widely available for those who would not be able to afford it um, yeah. and and that's just i mean that's a blessing on its own
0: mm-hmm. so then where do the other 30 percent of your residents come from
2: they're going to come from you know uh mouth you know word of mouth referrals from uh, treatment centers usually if uh you know, you're coming from, you know, like a really nice 30-day inpatient detox or something like that. You don't have the nudge from the judge, what we like to call it, or those criminal background <laughs> factors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, usually you're on mom and dad's insurance, uh, and you're pretty much the younger scope, and you're just trying to figure out life.
0: Mm-hmm. So then, um, if I was looking to get into a residence like that, could I just walk up and and be accepted or are, are there yeah. other what's like, the- how does that work <laughs> process
3: yeah
2: so the the entire process start to finish is um you know once there's a referral so an application that comes through it'll be screened um there are a few things that disqualify uh clients so the, where i work is a men's only recovery residence so you have to be 18 and older um so if you have multiple sex offenses that will disqualify you. If you have multiple dealing charges or convictions, that will disqualify you because again, it is a place for people with substance use disorder, not drug dealers. And then lastly is um, violent charges or convictions. So the guy that's got five domestic violences, uh, domestic violence charges, but no convictions because his significant other showed up and didn't want to press charges, like again, that's where the manipulation factor comes in. You know, Mm -hmm. so, so things like that will, um, weed you away financial, um, financial burdens. Um, it is sometimes it happens, but you know, we've, we've done pretty well at obtaining grants, funding, scholarships, things of that to where it's, I would say less than 1% of people who seek treatment get turned away due to financial reasons. And then lastly, it's just a sheer motivation of willingness. You know, what's your desire Mm -hmm. to change? If you're truly, um, you know, wanting to change your life and can adhere to a few things that we suggest while being on the wait list, because of course there's always, you know, there's, there's a hundred beds available, but 200 trying to get in at any time. So it's kind of like a bottleneck, you know, 30 people Mm -hmm. going through one door at once. So you don't get to help everybody, but, um, you know, it's always there.
0: I want to talk more about that, like criteria that you have and how you kind of gauge a person's willingness and readiness um, to pursue recovery. But before we get to that, can you kind of um, talk about how the recovery house you work at compares to others? Like, are they all like this, or are there different types that we should be aware? Of? So
2: yes, um, that's a really good question. So where where I work is a minimum six month long program. Um, That's generally like that's the minimum commitment that I'm asking for upon someone coming in. So Mm -hmm. that right there, if there's any hesitation in that, that right there shows me some degree of willingness, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe some uh, reservations or some restrictions. Um, As for like our facility versus other facilities, uh, the really cool thing about our facility is that we are now turning into a whole health clinic. So we are offering mental health. So, I mean, not serious mental illness like schizophrenia, schizoaffective, et cetera, but, you know, with your PTSD, bipolar, depression, anxiety, we're able to clinically treat that on top of the underlying foundation of 12-step recovery, you know, working with that substance use disorder. A lot of other recovery residences um, here in the city and in the state are 12-step base only, so they lack the clinical services. Mm -hmm. as for really interesting oh i'm sorry i was gonna say as for time frames they really don't have them Mm
0: -hmm. do most of the other recovery houses um also get a majority of their residents from the criminal justice system
2: i would assume so Um, yeah you think i i know i know of two others that their primary referral source is criminal justice partners but i know that um because we're so large and we're so well-known that a lot of, um, so in 2019, we had 65, uh, Indiana counties guys from 65 Indiana counties reside where I work.
1: Wow. Oh, so, okay.
2: you know, um, in 2020 alone, i probably have, have had 500 people reach out to me who are incarcerated. Um, interesting. And I respond to every letter. Yeah, even if even if they're even if they're in there for like, you know, like, first degree murder, and it's like their out date is 2050. I'll respond in a letter and be like, you should go somewhere else, like, sincerely, (laughs) and then just like, sign my name, you know, because that's just not it's like, what are your motives?
0: Oh, gosh. That's so interesting. I didn't realize that. I think that's awesome that you're offering mental health support as well. We've talked about on this podcast before how many times addicts have a dual diagnosis of another underlying condition. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our um, guest last week, Justin, talked about kind of how he felt like he had this hole, this void, and he was filling it. And a lot of times he was filling it with drugs and alcohol, or in his case, just alcohol. But um a lot of times that void is, for some people, for my husband in particular, it's it caused by some mental health um, thing that you're dealing with as well. So that was just interesting.
2: Yeah. It's really cool. It, yeah. It's, it's a, absolutely, it's a, a key component. Like there, It's just mm-hmm. a pivotal turning point that because I was, I've been able to be uh, an employee uh, prior to us offering mental health services, and then mm-hmm. after, and just the change is just day and night.
1: It's so, cool. um, so cool. So is it also unique, like, your recovery house, or maybe maybe not unique, but there are differences in how recovery houses are, like, staffed, if there are actual, like, employees who are at the house or monitoring, or I know sometimes other houses are more, like, self-governed or mm-hmm. they have house leads. So, like, what is... What's it look like at the recovery house you're at? And maybe what are some other places set up like?
2: So I can speak for, um, so the only two that I've ever lived at, but have stayed at multiple times, both were ran by staff.
3: Um,
2: However, where I work, some residents are employed. And those are like um, how I stated in my brief summary earlier was like, watch the cameras you know answer answer Mm. phones um so you know they they live there but they are also employed there as well um as for like positions like mine or you know higher up it's everyone um everyone has their own home you know they separate the work from from okay as for other recovery residences in in the area Um, I only know of one that is fully self-governed and there's just someone who lives at their own place and if something goes down they'll show up but they use that like a lot of accountability like peer accountability for them you know like uh, one housemate to call out the other housemate and to you know distribute a drug screen Um, which here nor there that's it's not about them right now but you know I i disagree with that
3: okay
1: Mm -hmm. how do you guys keep your residents accountable uh programs that you have in place
2: structure um massive amounts of structure um Mm -hmm. you know failed drug screens failed breathalyzers late for curfew if you make fun of anyone for being different so Mm -hmm. you know like homophobia you know racism any of that zero tolerance um and this is, I mean, this is, let me help you pack your things with haste, mm-hmm. you know, because it's just, it's not tolerable This is a safe place for everyone. Um, that's cool. You know, everyone is entitled to the right of recovery. Um, so, you know, we, we really stress that, but as for like more accountability, those are just cardinal rules. You know, that's just, uh, you know, don't be a crappy person, not hard, um, As for the accountability components, though, it'll be, uh, you know, make it to meetings on time. If you show up late, awesome. You have like essentially one strike. If you accumulate five strikes, we'll just ask you to leave. You know, Mm -hmm. um, with the the demand that we have for our facility and the limited bed availability, um, it's, I don't want to say it's a privilege, but it's, you know, there, people are literally dying to get in. Like today, I kid you not, I went to a viewing
3: mm-hmm. of
2: someone, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's just, that's the cold reality of this disease.
0: Mm-hmm. I just want to, re- you said everyone is entitled to the right of recovery. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that concept that like, in the way that you're talking about it, just in- inclusivity within your program. But also like, if you just, broaden that out a bit like just the lack of accessibility of these types of things just you know the stigma attached to recovery um I don't know I just really love that that quote it made like I don't know good job you should like be a wordsmith for recovery or something I don't know but that was pretty sweet so I don't know I think that's some, that's something to really think about of like yeah I mean just not everyone has the feel like that's not a right you know it's kind of I don't know. Cool. Good job, Ellie. Um, um, you made me forget my question. Oh, okay. So can you talk to us about the um, type of candidate you're looking for? So you're saying you have all of these applicants that are coming from, you know, jails and the court system. Um, how do you kind of sift through those and pick the candidates that you believe are ready to pursue recovery?
2: So what's really cool. So I'm in school to finish up my bachelor's in social work and then go on and, you know, have a master's in social work. Um, ultimately like the, the end of the road, I want to be a therapist, um, in a prison. I want to work for the department of correction. That's, that's my end goal. Um, thank you. Um, as for, as for like spotting the quote, like ideal candidate, um, what's really cool about this disease is that it doesn't discriminate. So that's awesome. Um, you know, I don't care where you come from, what mom and dad do, you know, if you have all this in the bank, but you're on no bond, like, I don't care. I care. Mm -hmm. I don't care about what you've done. I care about where you're going. Um, so that's really cool. Um, I like having organic conversation. If someone body language is a really big indicator. Um, if, you know, I like pressing people's buttons a little bit, like we'll say someone's got a few disorderly conducts. OK, that's going to be a bar fight. Um, you know, I'm going to press them. I'm going to you know be really resistant to what they have to say to see how they respond to being challenged. Um, you know, sheer degree of, you know, motivation and willingness, you know, um, if they've had previous attempts in recovery before um, their mental health history, you know, um, mm-hmm. if someone's saying, Hey, I have auditory hallucinations, um, you know, the, you're, you're probably beyond our, not probably, but you're beyond our scope of treatment. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I want to get guys in that their life can be impacted, not set them up for failure. Um, So, you know, there's a whole lot of different components that just kind of make everything fit together really well. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, essentially guys, and this is me speaking from like the re-entry perspective, low level criminal histories, you know, the guy that's got three OWIs in five years and they're saying, hey, you can go to, we'll allow you to go to six months to treatment or you can um, do a year in county. And it's like, Mm -hmm. why would you do that? Um Also, the really cool thing is so um prime example so i a judge sentenced a gentleman to where uh, I work, and uh somehow he slipped through the cracks, you know, we're human um well, I caught this error of this guy's criminal history and got on the phone with the appropriate people and was like this this is not this man's not going to come here. you know mm-hmm. he is a threat um and that's that you know Mm -hmm. like it's it's like sorry about your luck like sorry not sorry like human error i'll take that on the chin but you know i have 99 other people's well-being i have to look after you know um so you know things like that things like that you know i i kind of sometimes feel like papa bear a little bit Mm -hmm. you know like somebody will come up to me and be like hey my buddy's in the joint and i'm like well what's he in there for um Oh, like three batteries that he's got, like dealing a hundred grams of meth. And I'm like, no. And you know, they're just like kicking, they're like kicking their shoes, like, fuck you, man. And I'm just like, <laughs> if you knew.
0: Yeah. So what do you, so the people that so let's say they do have a, um, something that disqualifies them as far as their criminal history or um, a, a more complex mental health diagnosis, where do you Where do those people go yeah you know where do you... them somewhere yes, yeah,
2: yes, and like wholeheartedly, I will refer them uh, to the best of my ability, and if i don 't know the answer i 'm not above um, asking for help so but there
0: are places that take those people
2: a hundred percent a hundred percent for cool. for like serious mental illness, they may not like the answer, but you know they have state hospitals for those mm-hmm. who um, for those who are uh, you know, more criminally inclined with like a really big rap sheet, you know, maybe the smaller mom and pop fly by night. Um, well, I shouldn't say fly by night, but the smaller mm. mom and pop recovery residents would be more suiting, uh, suitable mm-hmm. for them.
1: So is there a place like where you can find this information? Cause I'm just thinking back to like, I remember when Jake was getting into treatment, um, and I feel like I'm fairly connected with the recovery world now and I still remember just how like overwhelmed I felt in the moment of, like trying to find all of the options and figure out like what made sense with like health insurance and whatnot and so I'm just thinking like for our listeners who maybe they're family members and they want to you know help their loved one and they don't know where to start like Do you have any recommendations on how to find these resources?
2: Yes, definitely. So here in the state, there is a website called NR. So that would be I-N-A-R-R dot O-R-G. And that stands for Indiana Affiliation of Recovery Residences. So any recovery residence that is certified through MHA, which is Mental Health America, um, Boom! It's on that website. One super user-friendly, navigated um, platform, and you know they're all well-respected facilities. Okay, awesome.
0: Have all the recovery um, houses you've been to personally been in in Indiana, or have you gone out of state anywhere?
2: I have gone out of state. What's that experience like? It was absolutely mind-blowing. I went to a place in Louisville and. I kid you not, it was like a college campus. They had legitimate dormitory towers um five hundred five hundred people um and so like I went down there for some like straight edge punk fest and it was I got down there like a day early to see some buddies from England, and I um uh, went by for a noon meeting, and I was just my mind was blown. I've never seen anything like that, and you know from all walks of life from you know, the, the guy who, you know, the, the guy who smoked crack so much, he'd, you know, beat Lance Armstrong on a Barbie bike, um, to, you know, the guy who just learned how to, uh, you know, he's just learning about this thing called recovery to, you know, like the career alcoholic, it's just, everyone's there and they're in the masses of five. I've never seen anything truly, truly uh, an amazing experience.
0: That's cool. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So you you talked a little bit about, you know, maybe identifying the right candidates based on the criteria for moving into the house. Once you have the people, like once people are living in the residence, are there any like indicators for how successful you think they'll be? Like, can you tell early on, like, oh, this guy's gonna, you know, make it or this guy's gonna be out in a couple of weeks?
2: What's difference? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and what's really good about what, what I really like about that question. So I had one. Um, so like, unfortunately, I, I don't get to spend that much time with the guys. I'm, I'm ducked off in an office answering, you know, 200 emails a day on the phone for six hours a day. That's just, you know, the nature of this gig, um, at least for my position. Um, but you see a lot of guys that, you know, there, there are these things we call back problems. So I got the car back. I got the job back. I got the girl back. I got the family back. And then you forget what it's like when you were sitting in a jail cell or you were, you know, shooting dope with puddle water, you know, you forget that feeling of that bottom. Right. And then you just, you just, you're like, Oh, okay, cool. Whatever. Like you just get really complacent and you don't care. Um, what's really cool. And I really like about it is being proved wrong. Um, there's Mm. one guy who's there right now that I honestly thought would not make it, you know, 30 days. And that was six months ago. And you know, um, that's, what's cool.
1: Yeah,
0: that is cool. What are those people that make it have in common? Like, what are they doing? What's how do you do this?
2: They're willing, Mm. they're willing, you know, um, when when I first gotten and I can speak from my experience, right? Um, but um, you know, adhering to these principles that uh, you know have been taught in a twelve step program, um, you know, they say, "Hey, get a sponsor, work the steps." Um, you ask anybody who's been sober years, they say, "Hey, get a sponsor, work the steps." Um, you know, that's it's like, huh? Um, doing what it doing what was suggested of me, so. You know, I may not want to do that. You know, I don't want to do half the things that I do, but I suit Mm -hmm. up and I show up, you know, and nine times out of 10, when I'm done, I'm glad I did it. Um, Yeah. You know? uh,
3: Yeah. So go ahead. I was going to say, I have a question. So what do you say to the people who struggle with like the higher power thing?
2: So it's it's interesting um because again like i can relate to all of this you know from like personal experience um and so as my sponsor once said to me when i was sitting in an inpatient just like um just a hot bag of just mess um he was like hey so what's wrong and i'm like it's the it's the it's the god thing bro as i throw up air quotes um you know, it's the God thing. Um, I don't know if I can get, if I can do this. And he's like, well, are you God? And I'm like, obviously not. Or I wouldn't be sitting in treatment for the fourth time, you know, this year. And it's August. Um, he said, then shut the fuck up and quit questioning it. And you know what, like that literally was my foot in the door to, you know, like, to this, like whole, like, and by no means. When I say God, it's not like, oh yeah, I'm going to mass and like getting down with Jesus. If that's your thing, <laughs> cool. I don't care. But like, I'm reading like the bog Baghdav- the Bhagavad Gita, and like trying to just like emit love, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, cool. I'm just like, hey, I know that like stabbing people and like robbing stuff and carjacking is bad. But now mm-hmm. it's like, okay, perfect example. So I'll tell on myself. I'll get a little vulnerable. Um, so i get pulled over yesterday for doing 60 in a work zone okay cool i'm like whatever i'll take the l's on a ticket for you know speeding well this cop comes back and he goes well while i was behind you um pulling you over and you were getting over you didn't use your turn signal twice so here's two additional tickets and so i looked at him i looked at him and i was like oh dude um i hope you become a black bat or a black uh stripe on a badge and um I'm like you need to get the fuck away before this escalates um purely acting on emotion like and this is what's crazy is like I call my sponsor afterwards and I'm like dude I really fucked up like I have to make amends to this guy so Mm -hmm. you know I'm looking him up on Facebook I end up calling the sub precinct (laughs) and um this is today and I'm like I'm like hey this is my name and if you don't call me back by five o'clock, I'm gonna show up in person. And so they like call me back, and they're like, "It's closed, but we'll get him the message." I'm like, "He needs to call me. <laughs> I need to apologize. He didn't lose sleep of, over this, but I did. You know, like that's that that's that God consciousness, right? So like, yeah, like that. I know that that was wrong.
3: Mm. You know, that's so
2: interesting.
1: Yeah.
2: thanks yeah. for sharing
1: that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I think it's right. cool to hear like a a real life example of you know how you are working the steps and integrating it into your like everyday life so that's pretty neat I'm trying yeah to. we've
0: talked about that before about how you know the program really sets you up to learn how to oh I guess it's one of the sayings like live life on life's terms but um, it really does teach you life skills that apply to things outside of just fiction right. so yeah that's cool
1: So are all of your residents then required to have a sponsor and work the steps and how is that like monitored
2: a hundred percent and releases of information. So, you know, everyone who comes in, so we will help expedite the process. So there are these things called 12 step workshops, um,
3: Mm -hmm. and you have
2: to there's like different levels there's different tiers of programming so you know the lower you are the more restrictive it is the higher you go the less restrictive it is the more freedoms you're allowed so Mm -hmm. you know ultimately hey i don't want to be at phase one for forever i want to be at phase three you know um it's a three-phase program so you know maybe like a month into phase one, you know, that's when I'm planting the seed. Hey, what's up with that sponsor? You know, like, that's, what's crazy. Is a drunk and a dope fiend like me? You know, I stick around for a couple of days. I know some other drunks and dope fiends, right. Um, (laughs) That like actually do this thing that like, you know, if they, if I call them at two in the morning, they're going to answer, they're not just going to hit silent. Right. Um, And so, you know, it's all word of mouth network. And then um, I just have them fill out that really cool thing called a release of information. (laughs) <laughs> and so I can just like you know just like I guess like you know pop a bear like are you really meeting with them but the cool thing is is that 99.9% of the guys that I refer, you know like sponsorships are guys in my support group
3: so it seems like I mean you you had a, a call just a second ago and it's eight thirty at night like are you on 24 7
2: ah um I like, I'm going to tell you no, because I want to think I have like, manageability over this. But yes, um, like, if, if my like my job needed me, like, I'll go, I'll stop what I'm doing. Um, I mean, within reason, you know, if it's an emergency, what's cool is I live eight blocks away. um, Mm -hmm. Which is just, I mean, freaking rad because a tank of gas lasts me literally all month. Um, (laughs) Nice. Yeah, right. Um, But I mean, it's all about, it's all about, so what's really cool. Um, you know, I know when I'm getting burnout, I know when to step back. Right. Um, I know when to, you know, self-care is the most important thing that I do. My recovery is not my work. Um, you know, and that's, that's huge. Um, it took me a really long time to figure that out. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, you know, I just think that helping people is in like my nature, you know, it can be a Saturday at five, you know, not 5.00 AM. Um, it could be a Saturday at 7am. If, if it's, you know, something, you know, an email, cool. I'll answer it. If I'm not doing anything, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's the nature of this beast, you know? Um, And that's the thing too, is that, you know, um, I also do like volunteer commitments and things like that. And if it's a holiday, I don't care. I'll show up. Because Mm -hmm. last time I checked, I was shooting dope on Christmas. You know, Mm -hmm. I was still drinking on Thanksgiving. Like this doesn't take an off day. And, you yeah, know, um, I get I know exactly what it's like, because I've got that lived experience, you know, so mm-hmm. that's, that's empathy. And then it's also me being naive trying to help everybody. I can mm-hmm. see my part.
3: Yeah. So do you have like a significant other or family members who say like, hey, like, we want your time, like your time is being sucked up by your work or recovery?
2: Yeah, you're looking at them um as oh. i as i hold my cat up uh, <laughs> <laughs> no no yeah no super I'm, adorable I'm, cat no honestly i just don't have time for that so um you know i have a pretty full plate prior, you know first and foremost my recovery is first sure. you know if i if i put anything um if i put anything in front of my recovery i'm going to lose everything um that's that it's happened to me countless times um so that's priority works pretty close. Um, my self-care, I mean, school's number three, like school starts back up in a couple of weeks. So that's going to suck really hard, but whatever, um, mm-hmm. you know, things I like to do, are you know, I get like tattoos, collect records, t-shirts, band shirts. Um, and you know, I hit the gym every day. Well, at least five days a week.
0: You're a good dog sitter too. Oh
2: my God. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, um. Oh, I was going to ask. So you're talking about you live near the recovery house. Are you still living in any part of their um, housing system? Or are you on your own now?
2: Nope. I've been on my own for about 18 months. So I had, I, I moved into where I work um, at seven months sober because I did a little jail time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, stayed there for a couple months, and then what 's really cool about where I work is that so they have like transitional transitional housing, so it goes from like you know that structure of like twenty four seven accountability um, for the most part, you know like curfews eleven p m if you 're one minute late you 're not going to stay there anymore you know just a lot of zero tolerance uh, rules to an apartment complex um, and I stayed there for um in total between the two, I was a client slash employee for about a little bit under one year. It was like three hundred and sixty three hundred and sixty two 362 days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I made sure that I had first month and last month's rent in the bank, you know, um, you know, I made sure I had a car, you know, um, mm-hmm. all these things, you know, a, a small nest egg that, you know, my debt was dwindling, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, some relationships amongst family were good. You know, as I tell guys, you know, some some people you know think that they can do it thirty sixty days. Okay, cool. Maybe you can. I can't. Um, mm-hmm. I just tell a lot of people pizza rolls are better in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> you That's know, right. it's true. Patience, so, is there a point? Right.
1: Yeah. Like, are you, are people living in the, in the house with that strict accountability up until the six month mark? And then once you hit six month, you can go into that, the apartment complex. Is that um, based on a time or just the way? Like, it's it's your- all,
2: it's all based on progress. So okay. that's, what's really cool about where I work. Pardon me is um, they stray away from that cookie cutter treatment is what we call it. So that one size mm-hmm. fits all. So that if we if all four of us went into, you know, go get treatment, um, some places will just have the exact same treatment plan for all four of us. You know, I did drugs a certain way that, you he, you know, he did drugs, you know, a different way than they drank and, you know, so forth and so on. So we're all going to be individual. Um, so everything's made specifically to help um, the person. You know, we measure progress by individual success, not by just here's here's a plot on a map. Yeah, you know, reach it. So that's, that's, what's really freaking cool.
1: Is there a maximum amount of time that someone can be?
2: Absolutely. So I will tell you another. So today was like a bittersweet day. So like, okay, saw, you know, a a really good friend, um, you know, laying in a casket, you know, I mean, that's, that sucks. Like that's, that's the buddy. Um, Mm -hmm. But then like another, just like, okay, so like the small victories of people winning, So there was a guy, um, you know, I'll say colorful. I'm pretty when it comes to criminal history. So if I'm saying colorful, like it's like, yeah. Um, well he had, (laughs) he had some level threes and level twos, which were like weight possession is the level three and dealing is the level two. Um, Mm -hmm. the last open, the last offer that they gave him was like, I think, uh, 14 years department of correction. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a bit, uh, So um, I did absolutely nothing but just put like some stuff on a piece of paper. And two guys that I work with actually made the the journey, the pilgrimage up to like super northern Indiana with the guy. Um, He's staying over at the uh, the apartments. He's been there for about two years now. Um, The judge goes up to him and he's like, hey, you've literally changed your life. Here's a plea for 16 years of probation. I was going to give you 16 years in prison. Oh, wow. Um, I gave you 16 years on probation. All of it suspended. So, you know, now it's completely up to him, you know, is, is, you know, like, hey, if he messes up, cool, you go to the joint for 16 years. But to see that victory, to see why like small podunk counties like get open and be like somewhat ambivalent to like, hey, this could potentially actually be a disease and it's not a moral failure. And, like, you take the drugs and alcohol away from the guy and have him work on himself in a structured environment that he can be a productive member of society. Holy mm-hmm. crap. Department of Correction for 16 years is not the answer.
3: Right. So cool. Mind-blowing.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, that right there, that's that's a W that I'll ride on. I'll ride on that feeling for, like, six months.
0: That's really cool.
2: What? Like, 16 years? Are you kidding me? That's like...
0: insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long yeah. Time.
2: yeah yeah and and the cool thing is the cool thing is is that um the two colleagues that i have um that went up there they sent it in so we have a work group chat and everyone knew that he was going to court that it was sentencing day you know everyone that i work with like that's how tight-knit we are you know um and we're talking from you know there i work with guys that are you know so what's cool and i'm sorry for the tangents but it's like um 23 of the 25 of us are in long-term recovery. Mm
3: -hmm. Okay. So we
2: have that lived experience. Um, Mm -hmm. everyone else, um, so everyone is either have a bachelor's, a master's, a PhD, or they're in school to obtain their bachelor's, um, where I work. So, I mean, I work with, with a guy who's just like a freaking wizard. He's a CPA and an attorney and yeah and he'll like text me at like seven in the morning like I heard boys don't cry today and I thought of you and I'm like oh my god (laughs) like you know it's just like that that um any any colleague that I have well I call them friends um could call me and be like hey I need a place to stay and I'd be like here's a house key yeah
0: that's you know
2: um yeah and I don't think you find that too many other places
0: yeah that's really cool um I have a one a sidebar question just talking about um, kind of the living quarters there and just we're in a global pandemic like how does how is recovery working and um all this impacting yeah is covid nineteen impacting the operations of your facility at all do how do things look different
2: so different. um let me find some wood. So we've had no COVID cases. Um, that's crazy. How many yeah, people live there? Right now, eighty nine. Okay,
3: that's great.
2: So, so but we've taken a lot of measures. So when, um, when the city um, went on lockdown um, and had that shelter in place order, um, mm-hmm. we just pretty much shut the place down. We're just like, hey, sorry. Um, You know, we're in uncharted waters. You know, this is a fluid situation. Um, We don't know how to, you know, respond to this. So we would rather be too cautious. We'd rather err on the side of caution than on regret. Mm -hmm.
3: So um,
2: we, you know, we went and got everything for everyone, no matter what. Um, You know, I still to this day get temp checks twice a day, O2 levels red. Um, If I'm even symptomatic, uh, you know, home for two weeks. That's, mm-hmm. that's that, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, let's see any new admission that comes in, goes straight to a quarantine. We've sectioned off an entire wing of the facility that's uh-huh. isolated. Um, I have COVID tests scheduled for the guys that come in. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I get the results within 72 hours and then, you know, once they I get the negative COVID result, they can then pursue, you know, treatment of, you know, group therapies, 12 step recovery, et cetera.
0: Wow. That's awesome. So how are you, so yeah, there's a lot of questions around this, but, um, how are you seeing like COVID? I guess really what I want to know is, is the pandemic having any harmful, um, effects on maybe not people even in, at your facility, but just people in the recovery network that you have? Like, has this been hard on people's recoveries? Are there new challenges you have to face because of that?
2: Um, without a doubt. So um, I'll, I'll talk about what I've seen professionally before I go personal. Um, mm-hmm. So professionally, at the beginning, it was a lot of stress. Um, again, because it was so fluid of a situation, uncharted waters, no one knew what was going on. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, of course, fear is going to be, um, you know, emotion that everyone feels fear, of the unknown, etc., cetera, whatever. Um, so, you know, that, a lot of guys would just be like, you know, okay, cool. I don't need this. I need to be with my family. Uh, and you know, they would, abs- I don't want to say abscond, um, but they would leave, they would leave treatment. Um, and just say, you know, family's more important, which, okay. You know, a lot of them came back after, uh, cause mm-hmm. it didn't get better, you know, um, mm-hmm. that's the cold reality of this personally. Um, you know, it was, it was interesting, uh, because it's like, Hey, you go from hanging out with, you know, 60, 70 people, you know, a group of drunks right. at you know, the local 12 step recovery club. And mm-hmm. um, you know, having some healthy banter on a Friday night to like, um, I'm getting pissed off that you know Billy Ray didn't hit mute while you know Peggy Sue Sharon, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, so but it's all about you know ab- adapting and improvising and overcoming, um, you know by by all means I'm absolutely thankful for that, you know that I that we have the means and the technology to be able to like, like if I wanted to go to Philadelphia on a zoom meeting and be in a 12 step recovery meeting, there's a link for that, you know, and I, and I can just like hop in and be like, what up from, you know, three, one, seven. And they're just like, Oh my God, (laughs) we're so glad you're here. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. I will say that like now, um, every Friday I go to a meeting that's out on the West side. Uh, It's in-person meeting, which is pretty cool. We take up an entire parking lot um, mm. you know, masks and, you know, being socially distance required. Um, and it's, it's freaking sweet. You know, it, it really puts things into perspective. Like I just sit back and I'm like, you know, this is some stuff that I take for granted. Um, mm. yeah. as for, as for like the key component, I mean, like meetings are great, but it's like the step work and this like constant pursuing of something greater than me, um, mm-hmm. which I happen to call God, you know, uh, I I would, I would still meet up with my sponsor. You know, I Mm -hmm. still, I still start my days every morning at 5.00 AM with prayer and meditation. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's how I end my days too. You know, Mm -hmm. I journal every night, you know, this is stuff I do to maintain and try to progress in my life. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to be how I used to be. Um,
0: It's just so cool. I mean, it just goes back to what we were saying about how the program teaches you life skills. I think for the first time, maybe mm-hmm. ever, so many people are dealing with mental health, being kind of isolated, their mm-hmm. whole routine, their way of life has been upended, you know, you're not really supposed to see your family and all of this, and I just think, I mean, I deal with my mental health, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but this whole thing has thrown a wrench in how I manage that, and I can only imagine if I had... Um, you know, been leaning on, had a crutch of a substance to help me get through how that would feel really good right now.
3: Yeah, <laughs> so no it's just,
0: Yeah, I just wonder how that was impacted. So, yeah, good stuff. Um, I think we did really want to dig into um, in the family side of recovery as it relates to uh, recovery houses maybe yours in particular and then if you have any experiences of the recovery houses you've been in the past but on this podcast we talk a lot about um, kind of the role of the family we uh, the three of us have lived uh, alongside our spouses and um, their through their recovery journey can have kind of been the supporting role and so how do you see families playing a part in the recovery of the men that you have in your house?
2: that's okay i'm really here for this so (laughs) this is a family disease Mm -hmm. okay so literally everyone in the family is affected by someone's use Mm -hmm. in the end of story um you know someone can try to debate this you know till they're blue in the face and it's just all right sorry feelings change facts don't this is a fact Mm
3: -hmm.
2: um now this might be like a hot take um But, you know, what I say to a lot of people, so like we'll say we'll say just like an example that someone doesn't um, it doesn't work out for them where I work. Right. Um, So I have, you know, like the despairing wife or mom calling me, you know, like, what the F do I do? You know, I can't take him in. And I say, you know, um, just because your you know, your kid or your significant other doesn't want to get better doesn't mean you don't have to. You know, Uh there's, there's 12 step support groups, you know, because, um, you know, like I'll use my, my personal experience. So like my family is like massive enablers, like it was, it like, it was literally killing me. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, just, it's like, it's like work on yourself. You're just as sick as me, you know, you, you will, you will literally love me to death. You know, that's how much love you have for me is that like, you love me so much. You don't want to see me sick Mm -hmm. that, you know, that, that 20 bucks that you give me or whatever could be the last, you know, and you don't think about that because you want to think about me not suffering. Right. Yeah. Um, But there's, the cool thing is, is that there's 12 step support groups for those who are families, family members of.
3: You know Mm -hmm. who don't
2: have substance use disorder and I strongly suggest that you know you go check those out um that people Mm -hmm. go check those out because there is a lot of good stuff in there in those rooms um you know uh where I work does not necessarily do family therapy um that is something that has been in the talks that um but again we're so small staffed it's like a four to one like client to staff member ratio at the moment. So that's something that's, you know, in the works. Um, I do, however, have a regular volunteer commitment at a local um, detox. Uh, I go in there for family Q um, mm, okay. and A. It's, and it's specifically geared towards young adults. So um, men and women aged 18 to 25 and uh, their parents just, I'm just like, there is no dumb question. Um, mm-hmm. you know, let's, you, you want to hear it from a dope fiend that's tried this for a while. And, you know, like I could, um, you know, I just tell, I just tell him like it is, you know, and I just apologize if I'm blunt or if I hurt feelings, but, you know, like go check mm-hmm. out, go check out a support system meeting. Um, and I'll leave it at this is just because your loved one or significant other or kid, whatever, doesn't want to get better. Doesn't mean you don't have to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause it'll kill you too, you know, and that sucks. That sucks. But it's like, it's like, do I have a quality of life or, you know, you can't do it for somebody else. If I could, then nobody in this world would have this, you know, straight up, you know, but it's, Uh, it's.
1: You uh, touched on this and it's something that we talk about a lot. Just that idea of like, you know, the loved ones, it's like we don't want to see our loved ones suffer, but then you know, and so the idea of like, oh, I can't possibly kick them out, but by letting them stay at our house or giving them money, it's, it seems counterintuitive, but it's actually like harmful. And I think it's hard to like, to understand that sometimes as the Mm -hmm. one, that feels so wrong. Um, So I always think it's helpful to hear that directly from like an addict or someone in recovery, who's like, no, like, this is what you have to do. Like,
3: yeah. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Do you think that when it's think,
0: important?
3: Oh, go ahead, Alex. Oh, I was going to say and I think it also gives you power. Like, I don't know if either one of you would have asked your spouses to leave the home had you not had a support group behind you. Right. right And people yeah. like calling you like, I would have been asking you questions, Alex, like he's, you know, relapsed yeah. again, he broke no the boot. contract. Yeah. <laughs> mhm. Yeah. Well, that was my...
1: it helps when you kind of know, like from being around, like knowing that there are options. And so you mm-hmm. can, you know, help yourself feel a little bit better of like, okay, yeah, I'm not, they can't live at my house, but I know there are options for them out there if they want to pursue it. Like they don't have to live on the street. They're choosing to do X, Y, and Z and kind of taking, putting some of that back on them of like, we're not, forcing them to do any of these things like these are choices that are they're making and it's consequences but
0: well I think that part of that is just figuring like as a part of the healing of yourself you learn about the disease of addiction I don't think I really knew about that prior to Mm -hmm. this experience and when you understand the disease which Elliot you've talked about it's like the disease I mean you don't care and so when you when you understand what what your loved one will do for the disease, then you know that the the best thing for them is to work just as hard for their recovery. And so when you kind of have the understanding plus the backing of a su- your own support group, you, um, it's easier to make decisions that might seem really hard or, or harsh. Yeah. Um, but my question for Elliot, um, From your own personal, like, recovery experience, but also from your experience with, like, watching and participating in other people's recoveries through your job, um, do you think that... I guess, do you think that it's important that the family also do their own work and heal at the same time Um, that their loved one is in recovery? How important is that, in your opinion, uh, to someone's, to the success that someone has, whether or not their family is also trying to do their own healing?
2: Um, Okay, so yeah, great. That's, that's a banger. Um, So it's like, it can go two ways. So like, I've seen guys that have literally burnt every bridge in their path. I mean, literally walk into where I work with, you know, a pair of like mud covered Jordans with wire shoestrings. Okay. <laughs> like you think I'm kidding. Um, Like I, I kid you not yeah. like, like their clothes are so dirty. I'm like, cool. You're not going to get the, I'm literally throwing these away. Um, yeah. And they think they're like, well, I don't have anything. And I'm like, you think you're special, dude? Like, you think you're the first person who's ever showed up here without, like, any of this? Like, come on now, you know? Like, you, mm-hmm. you have a high bottom compared to most. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, you know, and I've seen them literally have nothing, start with nothing. And, you know, they burnt that family bridge so bad that the family, you know, three, five years down the road still does not want to do anything with them. They mm-hmm. still have a phenomenal quality of life, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and for something like that, I tell guys, you know, like you can't control how other people feel. Right there, we we did a lot of damage when we're out there drinking and drugging. It's a, you know, why are you putting unrealistic expectations on others? Um, and you know, you can't control how someone feels. End of story. Mm-hmm. Um, you can continue to do you lead by example. And hopefully your actions speak for you that, you know, um, later on down the road, you know, something might blossom a really good rule of thumb. So me personally, I started drinking and drugging 13, 14 years old. So I'll say 13, I got sober when I was, um, 26. So that's 13 years of drinking and drugging. Right. So I have 13 years ahead of me before people should start trusting me is, is how I look Mm. at that, you know, um, Mm -hmm as for like importance, like I've seen, I've seen, um, I think it's huge, you know, you, everyone has to heal, you Mm -hmm. know, um, again, like it might take the person with suds, which is substance use disorder. It might take the guy with suds, um, you know, a year and it might take their family member two years, three years. Mm -hmm. Cool. You know, it's, it's, there is no, you know, uh, I really like using the, the, um, pinpoint on a on a graph like there is no Mm -hmm. just like hey you've got to reach that in this amount of time you Mm -hmm. know it's not how this happens it's it's based on your own progress i use um in like groups that i run so uh i use this analogy i'm like you know mount everest is not climbed at 90 degrees you know We, Mm -hmm. we we chip away at this you know there may be some days where i gotta hunker down for you know two weeks because of a blizzard right yeah. but the thing is is i didn't backtrack you know i'm staying put cool that's complacency but i'm still trying to just inch away yeah you know mm-hmm. um you know personally this is like as like as um i'm gonna sound like a grateful dead fan which i'm not but um
3: oh, it's like,
2: <laughs> sorry <laughs> um no, <laughs> but it's like it's, it's like it's like this is an odyssey you know this is a journey there is no endpoint. there is no destination you know Mm -hmm. like i just want to keep going um Mm -hmm. if i knew that there was a destination i wouldn't sign up for it you know because i don't like things that end i don't Mm -hmm. know i don't know as but back to your question because i'm like beating around bushes i'm sorry um yeah i think it's very important i think it's important Mm -hmm. that um i think it's very important that like there's a few different perspectives on this i think is that um so we'll say like we have the family, right? So we'll say that, um, just example, like the husband is the the one with substance use disorder. And then we have the wife and the two children. Um, I think that it's important for each individual to get help alongside with a family, because Mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the husband, the dad, he hurt each person individually in their own specific way. Mm -hmm. He hurt the family as an entity, Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's not, it, you know, it's not beyond repair. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at least from my experience is that it's not beyond repair. I've seen some really morbid shit um, and, you know, like families come back. They're just happy. They're just, you know, like they're happy. They're, they're just happy mm-hmm. to have somebody back. Um,
0: <sighs> Ellie, is there anything from your perspective that Was is valuable to share that we
2: didn't? No, I strongly support or suggest that like family members find twelve step groups, support groups. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, twelve step support groups for those who don't have substance use disorder. If you just Google that you know, cause anonymity is a pretty big thing. So I'm not going to drop any like specific names of these uh, support groups, but seriously um, it's, it's good. It will give you an entirely new understanding of this disease. And mm-hmm. the really cool thing is that you'll have um, people, you know, so you're telling me that the, the, um, the husband or the wife of someone who's been in recovery for 25 years, but the person still goes, they've been going to this meeting for 25 years you know, you're going to be able to learn something from them, you know, and vice versa, they'll learn something from you. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really cool thing. Um, And there's a fellowship amongst that. So, you know, like, like, like you ladies can, you know, you all relate to each other in the way that, you know, Hey, you all have significant others and loved ones that suffer from this disease. Right. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. You couldn't go up to a stranger who knows no one who has, you know, alcoholism or drug addiction and be like, Oh my God, this is what my significant other did. They're going to look at you and be like, what? But you go to yeah. someone who has this lived experience. They're going to be like, Hey, I get you. I get mm-hmm. you. This is what I did to overcome that feeling.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: It's um, you know, I think that's,
0: it's a, it's powerful. I think we've talked about our bond a lot, like why we started this podcast and, how I mean, and now we we support each other through addiction things, but also through other aspects of life because now we're just very close friends. Um, so I just think it's it's really really helpful, especially, you know, when th- when times are tough and we all have those mm-hmm. times. So um, yeah, I agree. I think getting a group of people, getting your tribe, getting your support group in your community um, is super important.
1: So. Yeah. And it's awesome that recovery houses can be that support group for people and help them along that journey. So, mm-hmm. cool,
0: yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and your uh, great quotes. I wrote some of them down um, because I can't wait to go tell my husband them. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just think this was really helpful. So we appreciate your time and uh, yeah, thanks so much that you do. So.
2: Oh, I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Thank you for um, having me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell anyone, tell, if you have any family, you can send them up to this podcast
3: if you like. You got it. <laughs> cool. Well, great. All well, right. thank you everyone for listening today. If you need to find us on social or message us, hello at boy and keep coming back. Thanks for spending time with us. We hope this story has helped you better navigate yours. Don't forget to subscribe so we can meet you here next time. If you enjoyed this episode, spread the love by rating or reviewing. Need more support? Join our online community by visiting us at boyproblemspod.com. Whatever you do, keep coming back.
1: We're not licensed professionals. We're here to share our lived experience, so take what resonates and leave what doesn't.